to Spin Cycle, which is a show that attempts to unweave the knots of the 24-hour news cycle and delve into issues in the media in Australia. We're broadcasting as ever from the unceded lands of the Rwandari Wurrung people uh, of the Kulin Nation, um, lands for which sovereignty was never ceded. I'm Charlie Lewis, a Crikey reporter, and I'm joined this week by monthly contributor, uh, contributing editor, sorry, Rachel Withers. Rachel, how are you? I am am okay, although I am recovering from my first ever bout of COVID, I mean, which is why I wasn't here last week. That that to me is is I mean newsworthy in and of itself. <laughs> how you managed to get to to this to late twenty twenty three without having ever contracted COVID? I know. I mean, I I told people that I must be immune. Um, and <laughs> it, so it, it stood no chance against you. <laughs> the amount of rats I've taken over the last two and a half years, um, I <laughs> believed I was doing rats wrong or rats simply didn't work. I actually didn't believe my eyes when that line appeared. But, yeah, it finally got me uh, when I was, was it, up was in it? Canberra two weeks ago. So I've missed two two shows in a row thanks to uh, my trip to Canberra. <laughs> <laughs> was it everything that they, they promised it would be? <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it involved a lot of... Um, Sleeping, really. Yeah, um, yeah. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, I, I also, God, this, this is really um, taking a, a, a turn into just our health <laughs> issues. But I got the, like the worst cold I've had in years. It wasn't COVID, um, according to according to the various tests that we did. Um, for like two weeks straight, I could not shake this damn thing. Mm. So we're both we're all we're all recovering, but um, we will get through as, as we always do. <laughs> we will persevere. I mean, it's funny. I think like this show is always. Uh, people who work in the media or, or spend far too much time paying attention to it just being faintly fried in one way or another. So we're just being... It's true. It's just a different way of being that way engaged. I've so. got to admit, having having COVID um, just a couple of weeks after the voice referendum was probably a much needed... A bit of a blessing. Break. Yeah, uh, yeah. To just, to just uh, step back from the news for a week. Yeah. But here we are, back in here, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ready to talk about the news for the next... Yeah. 55 minutes? In, well, indeed, yes. Uh, we've got no Jess Lily um, this time, so it's it's uh, she's made the the routine mistake that she makes every now and then leaves me in control of the uh, of the mixing desk. So we can play that fun game of what is what catastrophic, <laughs> weird technical issue is Charlie going to bring about if this time? If there's a pause, just bear with us. Yeah, if there's a long Charlie pause, a <laughs> or, or if there's music playing that no one can understand while the phone call comes through, which happened once. If there's a huge record scratch, it's all just part of the experience when I host. Um... We're going to get in um, Dr. J. Daniel Thompson, um, uh, a lecturer from RMIT, to talk about um, Labour's misinformation bill, which I think is a really, really interesting one. There's a lot of rhetoric kind of flying around about this. What is misinformation, you might well, say? Well, you, you might argue that, yeah. So I'm, uh, If you were the, uh, you know... Uh Australian uh, Communications Media Authority. In, well, well, they, well, isn't the problem that they wouldn't? Well, we'll, we'll I guess that. I guess we'll find out. I guess Jay will, will will enlighten us on all these things. But I'm really, really fascinated to kind of try and cut through a little bit of that and a few of the, um, yeah, on, on both sides of the debate, kind of some of the arguments that have been coming up um, and, and sort of get his take on that. Um, Rachel, the big thing, and I think it will be the big thing for for quite some time, is obviously the ongoing, um, I guess, horror that we're seeing unfold in in Gaza. Um, and this week there was um, a meeting of the ABC journalists, about two hundred, um, in a mass meeting, kind of talking about the public broadcasters' coverage of this conflict. Mm, um, and this this uh, was leaked to or, or shared with some reporters at the. At the nine papers, so we got a look into um, the 
the internal, I guess we could say, airing of grievances that was going on um, in this huge ABC editorial meeting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so this apparently took place on, on Wednesday afternoon. Um, it is, as the piece put it, um, emotional at times heated, which um, you can understand. It was sort of initiated by Mark Maley, who's the editorial policy manager. I mean, it's an interesting one with this kind of um, issue because, I mean, I think, like, it is such a str- – it is – Israel-Palestine does appear to be singular insofar as it is – it's – there are so many conflicts in the world mm. that people are able to have differing views on and believe that the person is coming from a place of good faith or is coming from a place of a well-informed point of view. And, and that is we are seeing more and more. It, 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 it's always been a bit it's always been a very fractious argument, the, 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 the question of, of, of Israel and, and, and Palestine. And um, but I, I don't think I've ever seen it quite like it is now in terms of the, the sheer uh, visceral feeling that is on, on both sides of the argument. Um, and I suppose that the ABC is having this meeting kind of reflects that. Yeah, look, and I think I think um, reading through this write-up of the ABC meeting, um, you, can, you can see why uh, such a meeting was necessary yeah, yeah. in this particular moment. I think, um, you know, some of, the, some of the issues being raised were around language, and what words yeah, can yeah. and can't be used. Um, you know, the ABC sort of, as we talked about um, a couple of weeks ago with Professor Dennis Muller, you know, uh, uh, it strives for balance and impartiality. Um, and so there are certain words that have certain meanings that um, they're, it, it leaves the ABC unwilling to use certain mm-hmm. words um, and these are listed in the piece as, as invasion, occupation, genocide, apartheid and ethnic cleansing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw um, Maley pushing back, sort of saying, um, you know, there is not one single easily... Uh, he yeah. said there is no single easy, easy universally recognised definition of apartheid that is necessarily fulfilled by what Israel is doing. Um, now, there are some experts who would say that yeah, uh, there yeah, is a yeah. definition that mm. is being fulfilled. Um, war crimes is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think genocide is another. They have, these have definitions that are um, yeah. Yeah, and there there are you know we have seen the UN use yeah the term war crimes, um, and yeah, it's just that is then um, treated as an opinion and therefore can't be tri- can't be reported as fact. We did have a sort of an incident a- about a week ago, I think, where um, uh, our RN breakfast host, Patricia Carvelis, oh, yeah, yeah. put a question to yeah, yeah, yeah. industry minister Tony Burke <clears throat> asking if he agreed with the use of the word genocide mm. to describe what was going on in Gaza. Um, and then the ABC ended up having to put up a... I'm not going to say a mea culpa, but just one of these editorial notes explaining that, no, the ABC had not referred to what was going on as a genocide. The ABC had been asking whether the minister in question agreed with what some experts are saying. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, like, I mean, in some ways that, you know, I, I think it's actually very appropriate that the ABC... Um, tr- strives to be as as sort of uh, cold and removed from the situation as possible, as, as as hard as that can be to kind of stomach sometimes. And I think also this this a meeting of this sort is an appropriate 
thing. I, I, th- I think you know it can be it can be reported or it can be it can be portrayed as a sort of as um, a flailing or as a kind of internal um, ructions, which obviously is part of it. But there's also the sense of this is a very very important issue, and it's very important that they have a proper full on discussion about how they're actually covering it. Yeah, it, it, it sort of read as a, a, um, a healthy discussion where um, you know. People could raise concerns um, about, you know, perhaps double standards that exist. That- yeah, that was that was a really interesting element, and, and that is something that I think the ABC and I think actually this is probably true. This is one of those things that's true of the ABC and true of probably every major media outlet. It's just that the ABC, rightly and un- both fairly and unfairly, is held to different standards. So the idea that um, I, I would say that most media organisations would have a certain rule about, say, social media activity that would be uh, nominally apply across the board but is only really enforced when it's someone's, like, new and young and not all that powerful mm. and someone who's more senior can perhaps flaunt those laws a little bit more uh, or those rules a bit more. And so we've had... So we saw, obviously, um, in this case, the, 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 the issue has been that... Um, uh, our own host, uh, Patricia Carvelis, was criticised for um, retweeting a former uh, Victorian Labour MP, a state-level MP, uh, Philip Deladakis, who accused the Greens leader, Andam Bant, of um, inciting hatred um, by... They had posted um, a, a a map of the region that was all blotted out and didn't show any distinction between um, Israel and, and Palestine. And, and that was... Um, yeah, and, that, and so... Carvelis, without commentary, retweeted that and then was 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 um, heavily criticised by a lot of people who thought that was an inappropriate move, and she ended up um, deleting it. Uh, and then, of course, the other the other thing that we saw this week, and I, I don't know if you ever saw the original post to this, but Tony Armstrong, uh, I saw people sharing screenshots of that original post. Oh right, right. Mm. Um, but he all all I ever saw was that he had taken them down and said this is not apparently appropriate uh, in terms of editorial policy. And so there is that sense that these things are not being um, dealt with necessarily in a, in a kind of even-handed way. Yeah, and the other one I think that, um, that people uh, within the organisation took issue with and, and also people on Twitter took issue with this, myself included, um, was the way that um, 7.30 in particular... Um, takes um, – there was one particular interview with a former Israeli uh, prime minister. Yes, um, yes. In which he sort of um, threw doubt over over the identities of certain people who'd been killed in a particular airstrike. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this bit of the interview that was clipped and then put on Twitter, there was no – Pushback, no pushback on what yeah. were sort of IDF, uh, Israeli Defence Force talking points, and, but also just just very inflammatory, uh, very strong and controversial views that you would think whoever was saying them you would ought to try and push them on that. Yeah, and look, I, I saw this and I, I went and looked at this interview on iView and um, Sarah Ferguson did push back a little bit in the next question, but what was clipped and put onto Twitter was just this this. One question and answer yeah, yeah. without any pushback, which is which, which again points <clears> to <throat> an, another element of these things that these things are litigated um, on social media um, 
in ways that perhaps is not all that appropriate. It's not necessarily the best format for these sorts of discussions. Um, no, and I mean, look, the ABC is always going to cop a lot of yeah, criticism yeah. on Twitter because, um, you know, I, 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 it gets it from both sides at all times <laughs> yeah. for um, either being too pro one side or the other. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and... <clears throat> Yeah, there is sort of the ABC finds itself in probably the most difficult situation here. But, you know, it's an issue across the whole media. It's, it's, it's a conversations that, um, you know, you would hope were going on within all media organisations yeah, yeah, across yeah. the country about how best to handle um, the language and, and sourcing and fact-checking. Um, and it, yeah, we just we we got a little insight into the ABC. Um, thanks yeah. to the fact that everyone is so fascinated by an ABC <laughs> internal yeah, internal and, meeting. Uh, I suppose also people feel more, and I and I suppose you could argue this is reasonable. People feel more entitled to that information when it comes to the ABC because, after Publicly all, funded. we're we're all paying for it. Um, whereas, you know, I would be I, you know there, there are lots of there are lots of decisions that are made editorially uh, at News Corp or Channel Seven. I would be fascinated to know what their <laughs> staff think of, but ultimately. I just if if I want to protest against that, I can just not buy the, that kind of outlet. Yeah. Not that that's not that that you know mitigates the harm, but there isn't this. As you say, there's not the same kind of uh, public entitlement to that information necessarily. Yeah. Or feeling and, of it anyway. And and you know I think there's a certain level of trust that the ABC needs to maintain. Yes, very true. Um, and therefore, it is it's helpful to know what's going on internally. You know, whereas. You know, commercial media, I, I don't think, comes with the same level of... No, no, no. Uh, quite explicitly, they are cultivating an audience yeah. and that audience has a, is a dem- is, will have certain demographic markers that will prefer certain kinds of coverage. I don't, yes. think, I don't think that's a controversial thing to, <laughs> to say. But. Um, one thing I did find interesting, an interesting omission perhaps in this um, ABC meeting that we have, you know, we, we weren't there, we haven't, we, we, we're not aware of everything that was said, um, but... I wonder where um, John Lyons fits into all of this. Yeah, as, I have thought about a lot of that. Uh, yeah. He's now the global affairs editor at the ABC, and he, he's written. He, he's there on the ground. He, he's the correspondent. He's and he's written some uh, quite powerful and moving pieces about about um, the the death toll in Gaza and the, the children, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. number of children who have been killed, and mm. questioning whether. Um, well, that constitutes self-defence. Um, and, of course, he's written extensively in the past about the level of censorship in the Australian media when it comes to Israel-Palestine. Yeah, so yeah. It, it was interesting to me that he wasn't necessarily well, they mentioned. Did, they did reference the fact that, um, you know, in terms of the, the, the fact-checking of these, of these things mm. that uh, they had. And there, is, there must be more than one way to do this they they argued that they they kind of basically weren't doing that in real time because it was quite understandably really upsetting a lot of the younger people that were being used to do this information why that couldn't then be handed on to someone maybe a little bit more senior but they they said that, that this was being done at an on um in an ad hoc basis by seasoned middle east correspondents mm. which is interesting you, you wonder if maybe he might be one of those figures who's doing that stuff a bit more behind the scenes yeah, yeah, perhaps, and and I suppose someone who is on the ground. Um, yeah, 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 and can verify a lot of the the, the credibility of certain claims and things like that. Hmm. Independent Melbourne Radio Three Triple R. 
So in January this year, the Albanese government proposed legislation that would seek to curb online spread of false and misleading information. Uh, here to discuss that with us is Dr. J. Daniel Thompson, a lecturer and program manager at RMIT uh, University. He's a professor, uh, sorry, a professor, sorry, professional <laughs> communication in the School of Media and Communication at RMIT. Um, and we are delighted to have him with us. Uh, Dr. Thompson, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So you wrote a piece uh, a little bit earlier this year, which was headlined yeah. um, in the conversation, was headlined, Yes, Labour's Misinformation Bill <laughs> Could Jeopardise Free Speech Online. Could you talk to our listeners a bit about, if they haven't been following this, because I feel like this is one of those things that's slightly been caught up in the news cycle um, and yeah. hasn't gotten as much um, attention as it might have. What is the bill purporting to achieve? And I guess then we'll get into some of what you kind of see as some of the risks, I suppose, associated with it. All right, so the misinformation bill um, has been put forward by the federal government. It was put forward in January. Submissions closed in at the end of August to combat misinformation and disinformation that spread in, on online platforms. That's what it is seeking to do, in particular giving the Australian Communications and Media Authority the power to, well, see what platforms are doing to regulate missing fake news on their sites, um, potentially develop a new code for misinformation. That might be an outcome. Uh, basically, yeah, help clean up the internet. And it's been controversial. It has. It's, it's, it's received um, a, a lot of um, feedback, quite a lot of negative feedback from a few different areas, which you, which you yeah, kind of talk yeah. about. Um, and I yeah. suppose um, we'll, we'll, we'll get into kind of the, the rights and wrongs and the different people who are saying different things and whether everyone is coming at that argument in good faith, shall we say. But, yeah, um, yeah. but, from, but from your point, <laughs> I'm sure you know what we're talking about. But, um, but from, from your point of view and, 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 the kind of, um, and the kind of thrust of your argument, talk us through some of the risks that you kind of see around, say, the language of the bill and things like that. All right. Well, the first thing relates to the, the broadness of the definitions of misinformation and disinformation. Um, both of these are defined as, and here I quote from the bill, as information that is false, misleading or deceptive and that is reasonably likely to cause or contribute to serious harm. Now, I'm sure this all sounds hunky-dory until we dig down into the weeds and find, well, there are actually important distinctions between misinformation and disinformation. Disinformation is inf false information that is spread with the intent of misleading, of upsetting, of, yeah, subverting the course of justice, potentially. Misinformation is incorrect information that's not necessarily spread with the intent of deceiving. Mm -hmm. Do you see that distinction Yes, there? absolutely, yeah. I think it's an important one. The next concerns harm. Harm is defined very broadly in the bill, and of course harm encompasses quite a bit, one of which is, and here I quote, disruption of public order or society in Australia. Now, that's what's given a number of groups the, uh, the reason to have pause. What does that mean? What does it mean to disrupt? Who is going to be impacted here? There are, upon a reading of that bill, more questions than answers. Mm. Um, 
Dr. Thompson, it's it's Rachel here. I was, Hi, Rachel. I was wondering if you could maybe talk us through, um, we've got those definitions there, but how exactly the bill would seek to to combat what it defines as misinformation and disinformation. What actual, what would the actual mechanism for preventing it? Well, it could, well, I think it's important to point out that ACMA itself will not be given authorization mm -hmm. to remove information deemed misinformation or disinformation. They can't remove posts. From what I can gather, they can recommend the platforms remove posts but they themselves cannot do that. They can determine, well, what is the platform doing to respond to misinformation and disinformation? Where can this be improved? So, yeah. So I, I guess one of the things I'm wondering is there's, there are a few concerns that... Um, that you've laid out and you've laid out in that piece on the conversation as well. Yeah, um, and that's we've, correct, yeah. We've seen... Um, you know, the, the law council, um, you know, constitutional law experts expressed concerns. But then we've also seen some, I suppose, concerns raised in this debate that aren't necessarily mm. factual themselves. And I, I'm thinking uh, specifically... Um, uh, there might be fake news. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we are seeing... Um, the, the lobby group advance, which was sort of instrumental in the no campaign, now turning their attention yeah. towards this and calling it, um, you know, Labor's Ministry of Truth bill. Um, it, Apocalyptic. Yeah. yeah. I suppose it, how do we how do we sift through what are the genuine uh, sort of good faith concerns and um, the concerns that are more focused uh, on on people's rights to continue spreading misinformation. <laughs> Uh, look, that's a great question. I think to answer it properly, we'd be here all evening. Mm -hmm. um, it's impossible for... I mean, you've, the, the particular group you mentioned may well believe that they're acting in good faith, mm -hmm. even though from an, an outsider's perspective might say, well, look, they're worried about their ability to spread less than accurate information. I don't want to get sued, so I'll be careful. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, I, I will say that the advance, I think we can read directly from their own petition. It says that um, it is a new law that will let the government decide what's true and what's not and hit solid citizens with unfair criminal convictions. I think I think we can all safely say that is uh, not... Not a fair uh, I, I, summary. It does sound hyperbole. It sounds like it sounds hyperbole. Yeah, I think we can agree that. On the other hand, there have been religious groups who've wondered, and, and look, I think whatever one stands on faith, personal faith, that they have a point that expressions of faith online could be deemed misinformation and could potentially be removed. So I, I suppose the other question is, well, who is deeming this information mm -hmm. misinformation, disinformation? Who's making that call? That's not just an abstract question either. Mm -hmm. I note with some interest that authorised political speech, e.g. press releases from political parties, are exempt from <laughs> <Yes>. this bill. <laughs> that is a very, very noteworthy <laughs> exemption. That uh, often seems to be the case with, um, with with political, with important political laws, is that they don't seem to apply to political actors in the same way. The yeah. Privacy Act would be another one, another example of that. 
And, and yet we know that political parties, rightly or wrongly, don't always tell the truth. An obvious mm. statement of the day. <laughs> I, look, and yet they would be exempt. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that's one of the uh, those um, very clear concerns that seem to be held by everyone other than the, the major political parties <laughs> there. Um, I was wondering, in terms of these definitions that are a little bit too broad or uh, yes. a little bit unclear, how how do you think they need to be tightened up? What could be done to make this uh, more uh, clear? <laughs> Look, I don't want to anticipate anything that might be happening in the background at mm. the moment. Um, there hasn't been a lot of coverage of the bill in recent weeks, perhaps for understandable reasons, mm. given everything, everything else that's gone on in the world. Um, I definitely think the final version of the bill, were it to go through, what I would like to see is a lot more conciseness and a lot, yeah, a lot less ambiguity what we're currently seeing. I think the desire to reduce misinformation and disinformation online is absolutely crucial. It's absolutely crucial. And here I quote the Minister for Communications, Michelle Rowland, when she says that mis- and disinformation sows divisions within the community, undermines trust and can threaten public health and safety. We've seen this with the voice. We saw this with the so-called debate about same-sex marriage. We're seeing this in relation to the Israel-Hamas conflict. It's just how we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Oh. I think it's the concise way of saying what I'm trying to. Is there? And this is going to, yeah. Sorry, you go on, Doctor. No, 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 I've um, finished. What, yeah. uh, what, I, what I was going to ask you, I suppose, we, we, we ha- we've had um, a couple of chats on this on this show with, with various experts yeah. about about things like misinformation and, and the the, um, the regulation of the public space by by government yeah. bodies, and, and often the kind of. Yeah. The, the 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 take is quite similar to what you've been talking about. It's sort of a careful what you wish for because in other contexts you might see governments that are not quite so uh, liberally minded kind of using that to cram down on on dissent or, or, or criticism. I mean, do we have any kind of um, international analogues that we could look to here, either of it being done really well, a good misinformation regulation um, regime or, or one that actually is, is sort of um, misused by, by the government of, the, of that country? Look, there are so many laws and regulations pertaining to misinformation around the world at the moment. It, it's difficult to make a broad-based statement on that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's certainly imaginable, depending on the predilections of the government of the day, it's very foreseeable that they could deem something to be misinformation or disinformation based on how it, what's the tactful way of wording this, aligns with their worldview. Right, yeah. Mm. And that, I suppose, I mean, yeah, it, it can't be a free-for-all. And at the moment, what we're seeing, the internet, to me, seems like very much a free-for-all. Yes. Anyone can have say, anyone can post anything. Go on to Twitter, you'll see exactly what I'm trying to talk, what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think I think one thing that's that's interesting with this bill um, that I think, if I'm reading it correctly, um, yes, seems yes. to be getting lost in a lot of the the criticism is that it will actually be those 
platforms that are ultimately responsible for deciding what is and isn't misinformation. Is that not already the case in in terms of the fact that these um, these me- social media platforms ultimately control what can and can't be posted on there? That's absolutely. Like I said earlier, the bill as it currently stands in the form that I've read, the exposure bill, doesn't give the ACMA power to remove posts or tell platforms to remove posts. The onus will ultimately, as far as I can see, remain on them to, quote-unquote, do the right thing. Um, And that's really patchy across the board. We think of all the content that content moderators, community managers must deal with, you know, in a single day, as well as, you know, videos that may or may not be fake, deep fakes, online abuse. I mean, Mm. how well-resourced are they? Mm, mm. And, yeah, I think looking at something like the X platform, the I like to call it the platform formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it, 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 it's pretty scary. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, looking at Instagram, I reported something that was fake and was frankly anti-Semitic mm. the other evening. And I received a very quick response saying that it had been reviewed by whom? I do not know, and that it had not contravened their guidelines. Mm. Is, is that maybe one of the issues that, that needs to be kind of addressed better, is a bit more transparency from the, um, the platforms themselves about what their processes actually are, what, the, what, That's correct. what they yes. subject those things to, and, and the decisions that they come to based on that? That's absolutely correct. And it remains to be seen what form that will take. We know, for instance, look at my favourite platform, X. What we know about that now is that, um, sorry, Elon, I know it sounds nasty, but um, you know, it's a free-for-all. He's, 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 he's called he's... himself a free speech absolutist. Mm. Yeah. So it would seem that you can more or less get, and I might be wrong here, but the, the levels of toxicity, the conspiracies, the hoaxes I've encountered mm. are at a rate, uh, yeah, unprecedented. Yeah, look, I, uh, so I guess my my thought with, um, again, it, this is, uh, tell me if I'm, I'm interpreting this incorrectly, but the uh, generally experts agree that it is a good thing to um, try to do something about misinformation and disinformation on these platforms. Yeah. It is, you know, important that we actually put some requirements on them. God, but it's, uh, yeah, it, people are quibbling over the exact kind of, um, the wording and definitions um, and yeah. the balance that is struck between free speech and, um, yeah. I guess, the right to go on Twitter without having... Or X without having to... Uh, Whatever it's called these days, yeah. I haven't checked. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's striking that balance, I suppose, between free speech and um, people's right to to not be uh, bombarded with uh, harmful manipulative information. Yeah. Yes. That's absolutely correct, yes. Uh, how, um, how I suppose, do you think, <laughs> where, how could the balance be better struck here? Do you, I, I know that's probably another answer that could take all night, but what could be done to make sure that um, free speech is protected by this bill? All right. Well, I'm going to first of all say in Australia, free speech is not part of our constitution mm-hmm. in the way that it is in North America. 
I think it's very important to get that across. It's generally heralded by politicians as being crucial to our democracy, but there's nothing in the law to protect it or define it for that matter. Um, I think more specific in relation to this bill, more specific definitions that leave less wiggle room, leave less ambiguity. You know, what is this information? Uh, you know, is it misinformation according to whom? Mm -hmm. Has it been disproven elsewhere on the internet? Is someone reporting it because they just don't like it? It, it needs to be a great deal. Something needs to happen. Or whatever needs to happen. Yeah, we, we need accurate and specific language, first and foremost. I noticed um, in your in your um, profile uh, on on the conversation that you're you're currently working on a book manuscript. Oh, no, <laughs> no this, I, I, I was just really fascinated about about ethical mm. reporting on online conspiracies, which is a fascinating and and, and as you sort of pointed out, a, yeah. a real growth area. Um, yeah. I, I was just really interested to know what uh, you know in in the, in the research for that book and the work of that book. Yeah. How has that kind of informed your views? What, have you come to any kind of practical ideas that have come through that that kind of reporting on on what in in in, in its own way is misinformation? Well. Um... The, so the book manuscript is for is under contract with Routledge. It's I aim to complete it by the end of next year. And what I what strikes me is that the, I mean the role of journalists, you know, which has always been incredibly complex, has been made even more so by the network's distribution of online conspiracies. Um, in many ways, um, I, I suppose with online conspiracies, there's always a kernel of truth in there. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's about, well, you know, there's challenges including sorting out the wheat from the chaff. What's true and what's not? What's the intention? And it's also about, well, do I ignore it or do I report on it? That's mm -hmm. because, of course, what we know from research on the far right is that a lot of extremist groups, for example, you know, they thrive on their views being amplified by the news media. How do you interview proponents of... How, how does the journalist stop themselves becoming a conspiracy yeah. actor? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, and a mouthpiece for those kind of views. Yeah. report on online proponents. I call them, this, I call them conspiracy actors. Mm. Um, conspiracy theorists is generally a pejorative without demonising them and therefore further excluding them, but at the same time not giving credence to their views. This is a, these are a major series. The further I go, and I'm just starting the field work at the moment, but the further I go, the more complicated it looks, not least because not all so-called conspiracies are propounded by extremist or far-right groups. Mm. Um, not all of them are without truth. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, um, yeah. 
Well, as, as we've said a few times tonight, I feel like we could talk about all of these issues um, until the early hours of the morning. And um, maybe, <laughs> maybe one day we'll get a chance to do that. But, um, but for now, yeah. um, Jay, we will let you go. And we really, really appreciate you uh, making some time to chat through these issues with us. Um, I think it's a fascinating area. And I'm sure that we'll have many excuses to revisit them over the time. But thank you so much for making some time to chat with us. I hope we do. Thank you for having thank me. You. Thanks. Three. Just before we go, um, I, I, I rarely get a chance to, to, to brag about my my work on this show. Oh, but, but this is a very important But this piece is probably the work. most important thing I've ever written in my life. So um, I thought it was just important to share with our listeners um, a little thing that we uncovered at Cranky today um, via um, some Freedom of Information documents that we got a hold of. Um, essentially... We look, the, the the request was into um, whether there'd been any kind of reported drug crime at Parliament House uh, in the last year or so. We, we, there was only one thing that came back, and that was that uh, the cops have been called out to Parliament House because someone had sent a bag of weed to to. Well, they hadn't actually sent it directly to Scott Morrison. Uh, the way that it worked out was that they had sent it to um, an illegible addressee basically and then put as the return address um scott morrison canberra which, which is, is really quite a funny thing to do if you're sending something illegal in the mail it's it's put the uh former prime minister's name as a return the return to I, sender i love it on a lot of levels i mean again sort of a joke i make in the pieces i don't want to accuse anyone of fuzzy thinking here <laughs> but the fact that it's not even like specifically apartment house it's just Send this to Scott Morrison, please, in Canberra. Oh, just as Scott Morrison, <laughs> hey, just as Scott Canberra, Morrison Canberra. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and the fact that, the, that someone was like, I've interpreted that to mean Parliament House is quite funny. Um, and yes, I, I think... I mean, it goes to show if you, if you generally, genuinely want to send him some mail, I suppose you can just put Scott Morrison Canberra yeah, on an envelope. I, I mean, it, the, the other thing that's kind of funny about this, he wasn't even Prime Minister at the stage. It was after the election. <laughs> so maybe it was like kind of a consolation, like, hey, buddy, you know, take, well, a, you, take a load. Off. You wonder if they sent it while he was still Prime Minister. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One um, of the many I, mysteries in this whole process. I think I think we also just had to give a quick plug to the artwork that accompanies oh, your piece, yes. which is probably my favorite piece of <laughs> cracky artwork ever. It was it was quite something. It is a it's a for those of us for those of you who don't subscribe, it's just a wonderful rendering of a slightly narrow eyed photo of, of our former Prime Minister with a bong and some weed and some Tim Tams floating around him with a kind of psychic colour scheme. Someone's <laughs> added like three joints to his, his suit pocket. <laughs> yes. Our wonderful, <laughs> wonderful designers, any who, um, who we would be lost without. Anyway, that probably does wrap it up for us now. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And thanks to our guest, Dr. Jay Thompson. And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us every week on your favourite podcast platform. And you can follow us on Twitter at Nadge Samble, at Lily Juice, and at The Shuffle Diary. You can also listen in at rrr.org.au via On Demand for the radio version of the show. Want to support Spin Cycle? Become a Triple R subscriber. Your subscription helps keep the station running and helps Triple R produce and create great radio and podcast content like this. <laughs>